Ephesians 6, 14 and 15. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. So we have been considering the different pieces of armor as we battle the schemes of the devil. And as uh, Tracy shared, <laughs> things rolling around here. Um, as Tracy shared, uh, there are many different pieces we have covered thus far. Uh, we've talked about the belt of truth and the empowerment that the truth as a foundation gives to us. And then the breastplate of righteousness. Rob, thank you so much for such a great summary of the breastplate of righteousness, <laughs> really the imputed and infused righteousness of Christ for us. And today we're going to look at another piece of armor, the shoes for your feet that are the old King James Version describes it as shod or put on uh, as the gospel of peace. And most commentators, biblical commentators, when they think of this passage, and in particular this piece of armor, they tend to see it in regards to evangelism and missions. That is to say, this is a call to go out and proclaim and preach the gospel of Christ. And while definitely there is a place for that, we see it as well in Isaiah 52, 7, to some semblance of that idea, which says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Paul quotes that text in Romans 10. But the question is, is that all it refers to? When we consider the context, we have to remember that this is a battle. This is a war. This is a fight. And this is a piece of armor. And the armor and armament is more than just defensive, it's offensive. And so, yes, there is certainly this aspect of the proclamation of the gospel, but there might be a little bit more, even more than that. The, the meaning of the Greek word for this idea of readiness is actually another word called equipment. It actually refers to equipment. And the Revised Standard Version captures this translation well when it says, and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. So the RSV actually uses that word and translates it as equipment. And I think it has both nuances, this concept of preparation, but as well the concept of equipment, meaning the focus is not just on the use of these shoes, but actually the purpose of the shoes themselves, the shoes itself. So think of it this way. When Paul is chained up next to the Roman soldiers, they are wearing these shoes. And for Roman soldiers, they wore footwear called caliga or uh, caliga. And they were boot-like structures with studs on the bottom of them, bottom of the soles. And they wore these studs and spikes on the feet, just like football players or soccer players wear, wear uh, cleats. Because what do cleats do in sports? Especially when the terrain is muddy or wet, it provides footing so that you don't slip and fall. 
And so soldiers, obviously, they're not playing soccer. They're not playing football. It's not a game. It's their very life. And so you can understand why they would wear these very specialized shoes to make sure that their balance is right, that the equipment that they're wearing is perfectly fitted to their context, which is their very life. So we have to keep that in mind when we think of this footwear. That is to say that this footwear has a very specialized purpose, and it's to make sure that the soldier is rock solid in their footing to battle against their enemy. So the word readiness is an aspect of the shoes, but it's not the only one. With that in mind, I want you to look at and consider three aspects, three qualities that help us by putting on these shoes that makes us ready to fight this fight. The first is preparation. The second is stability. And the third is mobility. And the biggest question that lies behind all this is, how does putting on these shoes help us to accomplish what Paul describes as the gospel of peace? So first, let's look at preparation. Preparation is the first way these shoes help us to battle. By putting on these shoes, we prepare for the fight so that we will not be surprised or caught unawares by Satan's schemes. And he does so by describing this idea of the gospel of peace. And to understand the preparation, we have to know what does he mean by the gospel of peace? I want to consider a few ways in which we think about this gospel of peace. The gospel of peace or a gospel peace is made possible because of God himself. God does the work. He gives us peace. Romans 5.1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must never forget that God does the work of peace with us. Not us to him, but his, him to us. Paul writes in Romans 5.10 that we were at war with God. We were at enmity with God. We were once his enemies. And so when we consider the fact that there was one point in our lives where we wanted nothing to do with him, and yet God acted first. And if you might say to yourself, well, is really are really people at war with God? Do they really want nothing to do with him? Well, tell and talk about Jesus to somebody who doesn't know him. Talk about him as someone who is your savior and Lord and someone you want to live for and someone who is the center of your life. You'll see enmity. You'll understand what it feels like to have someone who is at war against God. We see derision and disdain for Christ. We have to even look at our own hearts, even as his children, and even as people who have committed ourselves to him, and yet there are times where we turn away from his word, where we reject him, where we don't want to follow him. So if we who love Christ and want to follow him still turn away, how much more someone who has no love for Christ turns away? There is only one way that we have peace with God. It's certainly not because we've sought it. It's because God has initiated it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God provides the means by which we have peace, and it's through Jesus himself, the atoning sacrifice of his blood for our sake. 
So gospel peace is made possible because of God. Secondly is gospel peace guards our hearts and minds. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 reminds us of this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result of being at peace with God is that your heart and your mind is at peace. The greatest threat to our lives being separation with God, that's been done away with forever. And it doesn't matter that we face troubles because we will. This, these words that Paul writes, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which transcends understanding, which goes beyond it, meaning there are going to be times where it doesn't make logical sense to the world that you have peace because of turmoil in your life, perhaps a death, the deadly disease, maybe during this time of COVID. And during this time, there's no peace. I mean, there's no peace around you, and yet you have peace. See, that's a peace that transcends understanding. That peace guards your hearts and minds. We know this peace because of why? Because he has provided infinitely more than anything that worries us. So, meaning, if worries are here, God's peace is infinitely higher. We see this when Jesus tells us in Luke 12, 22 to 25, he says these words. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The key phrase to this is if you look, it says, of how much more value? How much more? That's a very, very important phrase that you have to have deep down in your soul. That is to say that it's a gospel peace phrase. Every time you worry, you have to remember that phrase, how much more? How much more do I have in Christ than that which I am worrying about right now? That's what Jesus says. That's what transcends understanding. That's what guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus is that God has made peace with you. He has done it through his son and his shed blood. Forever, that chasm has been has been crossed. It has been bridged by God himself. Because of that, how much more does that peace provide for you in whatever circumstance that comes your way? How much more does God care for you? How much more does God provide for you? How much more has God already provided through his son? If he has not even spared his own son, as Paul writes in Romans 8, how much more will he provide, graciously provide all things? There's a, an old hymn, gospel hymn, and it says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know the future. That's, that's a wonderful song that reminds us of these truths of gospel peace. We can face tomorrow, no matter what tomorrow brings. Even if we don't know what tomorrow brings, we can face it because he lives because of gospel peace. Thirdly, gospel peace changes us. 
Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Do you see that? The God of peace sanctifies. It changes. It makes you holy. It makes you like him. So do you see the logic flow of God that provides the peace? God guards you with his peace. Then God changes you with his peace. Because you might be saying to yourself, but I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it at this moment. The struggles, the worries of life are, are just as the thorns come tighter and tighter and squeeze freedom from you. The good news is that this peace is sanctifying. It is doing a work and it's doing it over time. Thanks be to God that sometimes that peace comes all of a sudden in big rushes and waves and sometimes it comes steadfastly but slowly. But it is happening. It is transforming. It is changing. And when this takes place, we slowly begin to see the world through his eyes, through his perspective. And so no matter what we see, whether it's this dreaded disease, whether it's this time of elections and we're reading the news, whether it's fires, earthquakes, what if in the midst of, we see, we tend to think, wow, oh, this is so bad. And we're here wearing masks and we're, we can't go out freely. And then we have these fires and then we say, oh, I'm glad I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> and what if there was a big earthquake in the middle of it? What if your house crumbled down and was destroyed? What if some of the people that you love most died? Is God not there or is he still a God of peace? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. The person who understands the God of peace, who has provided peace, is being transformed and is being, is able to see difficult people and circumstances and financial hardship and marital strife and wayward children and belligerent fellow citizens. We could still have peace in the midst of it all. We don't need to fight for our rights or to pay back or to take vengeance. God brings us close to himself. And we trust that. We know that to be true. So we prepare for this battle by putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace. You could see how that works, right? When you have that, Satan has no room to try to squeeze in his accusations, his doubts, his fears into your heart. Secondly, the second way these shoes help us is in our stability. As I shared earlier, this isn't just about preparing for war. It's the fight of war, the fight of these battles. These shoes are equipment that aids us in this war. Remember that these are shoes the Roman soldiers wore that had studs and spikes on the bottom of them to provide this stability. And while the feet are only about, what, 10% of your physical body, how critical they are for your body, right? How really, really important and vital it is for your body. Uh, for those of you who are aging, like myself, I don't know, but I find that my feet have been hurting a lot more, many, many more miles. I'm not talking about my legs, my knees, but actually I've been having toe problems. <laughs> toes. And you would think, toes, how important can a toe be? But toes actually provide stability. And just having one toe hurts 
hurts every part of your body, and your whole body is compensating for all those aches and pains. Anyone who does martial arts or athletics, you know how important a strong base is. A boxer, when we think about boxing, we think all it is is about using your fists and your arms. But if you watch Muhammad Ali fight, and most boxers, it's all about the base, how they're able to move their feet and their legs to get balance. And that's essentially every sport. It's all about the legs and your feet. If you ever, let's go to the animal kingdom. Have you ever uh, seen a turtle or a porcupine? They're very, very, I mean, they're protected. They have a shell. They have quills. But if you're somehow able to get a turtle on its back or a porcupine on its back, regardless of how hard the shell or how sharp the quills, it's utterly defenseless when they're knocked off their feet. Let's use a biblical example, David and Goliath. That good old battle between one small guy and one giant. The nine-foot Goliath was huge comparatively to David. And yet, one stone to the head, making him woozy, falling to the ground. And that nine-foot giant is susceptible to be beheaded by a really small little guy. I mean, that's what it means is that without stability, you cannot stand. And without standing, just like Goliath on the ground or a turtle or a porcupine flipped over or an athlete unable to have good feet, they're utterly helpless. You cannot stand. And look at how important standing is in Ephesians 6. Put on, verse 11 says, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the uh, the devil in verse 11. And then verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Verse 13 again, and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. I think you get it. Paul's not repeating himself just because he's not caring about any type of literary devices. He really wants us to emphasize how important it is to stand our ground, to be able to make sure our base is strong. And the way you do that is to have your feet shod or fitted with the gospel of peace, with these special shoes. For the Christian to stand is possible only with the gospel of peace. And you can understand why. If you are a person who is fretting and worried and anxious, you're not too far from falling over from being completely on the ground. When you're on the ground, Satan knows how to attack. And so what keeps us standing is knowing God has done the work of, it's a infinitely costly work of providing his son. And by doing so, you can stand. By doing so, you have peace with him. But far too many are stumbling and falling. Remember Paul's warning from 1 Corinthians 10.2. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We are not to think that we, we stand. See, look at those words again. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands. This person is not standing based on the gospel of peace. They're standing on their own merit and their own mind. They're thinking, how can I stand? 
through their own strategies, through their hard work, their labors, their merit, their successes, their experiences, their feelings, their past successes, their intelligence, they think they can stand. Boy, but those people fall. And when they fall, it is deadly. And how does Satan work to get someone to think they can stand? First, he separates them. He thinks they can stand on their own. They don't need others. Again, I think we learn a lot from nature. And you can imagine a, a sort of a, a pride of lions. They're going after wildebeest. And a huge herd of wildebeest, as powerful as lions are, they can't stand against a huge herd of a bunch of big, almost 800-pound beasts. But the way they can get one um, particular animal away is by luring one away from the herd. Usually the weakest, the one who stands alone, goes apart from the herd. And once they can pick out that one single wildebeest alone by itself, they'll all attack and engage that one animal. That's how it works for Satan. He doesn't try to attack the whole He goes one by one. And so that community is a key part of allowing us to stand, to have that peace, to keep us from stumbling and falling. We see this all throughout the Bible. And let me just give you two real practical ways. First, you know, we're about to come back together again as a church for COVID, from COVID. And Contra Costa County, as as I shared before, has given us the green light to do that to some extent. We're just waiting on this building. But when that news comes, I have a feeling that some of you are going to be scared to come together. Not everybody, but some. And some rightfully so because of pre-existing conditions and just those who are vulnerable. And I get it. For those who are in that place, you need to really be mindful of that. But for some, it's there's just a fear, a, a real sense of fear. I just want to say this to you. Do not let that fear control you. Because while there's a physical fear of contracting this disease or whatever it might be, but there is a spiritual fear that you need to be mindful as well. Because ultimately, yes, a virus can take your body, but it cannot take your soul. But there is an enemy who cares nothing about your body, wants you to be healthy, but actually cares to take away your soul. And so you have to really weigh that. What is it that I'm most afraid of? Losing my body or losing my soul? Again, we will take every precaution when it comes to the time where we gather together in this place, when we get the green light from the county, the state, as well as permission to occupy this place. But I really want to exhort you and to ask you to consider to consider your spiritual soul just as much as you are considering your physical body. So when we get that green light, I ask that you consider this thing because I am concerned that you will fall, not physically, but spiritually. And that is a greater danger to you than even if you were to lose your body. Secondly, some of you have heard of the accusations against someone who I've admired for a long time, Ravi Zacharias this past week, and uh, he's been accused of some really terrible things of sexual uh, impropriety. Uh, And 
it really is tragic because I've appreciated his ministry his, um, so much. I don't want to rush to judgment because I don't know all the facts, and I think most people don't. But I do know one thing is when I read the accounts and just hear one thing, lack of discernment. At the very least, that. And when I hear that lack of a discernment, I hear Satan's attacks. I know that when we are alone in our private moments, in our quiet places, and we think, oh, nothing will happen to me. I'm strong enough. I'm spiritual enough. It's at those moments that we think, no, Satan won't attack me. No, Satan never takes a time out. He is always on the prowl. And again, let's go back to, um, let's put that on screen again. 1 Corinthians 10, 2. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And I don't care who that is. Someone like Ravi Zacharias who could convince I me, mean, he was one of the greatest orators really as a Christian to non-Christians. And yet that person could fall. This is not because he's dumb. It's because Satan is far smarter than any of us, more intelligent. There is only one person in this world who is more powerful than Satan, and it is not any single human being. It is Christ and Christ alone. So who we cling to is not our intelligence, not our experience, not the fact that, oh, there's no way I would fall or stumble. It's Christ and Christ alone. And what keeps us is put on the whole armor of God all the time. All the time. If we are not always putting on the whole armor of God, then we can be defeated. It doesn't matter whether you've defended your faith before atheists, whether you have preached to arenas of people, whether you have trained in theological institutions. If you do not put on the whole armor of God, if you do not put on the gospel of peace, shod, fit for readiness on your feet, you will fall. You will fall. It's not you might, you will. So he knows Satan, knows your weakest points, but God knows how to protect your weakest points. Hence, Paul says, be strong in the power of his might, right? Put on the whole armor of God. God has already provided the means by which we can protect ourselves. We just need to do it. But sad to say, many of us think we can stand on our own, and then we fall. The final way these shoes help us is in our mobility. In ancient and modern warfare, if you can beat your enemy to a location, maybe to the high ground or to a strategic location, you're probably going to win the battle. That's been a maxim for every military strategy from the beginning of time. Most of the, the best generals in military strategy are ones who are fastest who are most flexible and mobile. So you have the most successful um, generals of all and military strategists. You have Alexander, Napoleon, even Hitler's Blitz, Blitz, uh, Blitzkrieg, the U.S. forces in Iraq. All of them were able to beat the enemy to their locations because mobility, speed, it kills. To be able to be flexible. Mobility helps you to fend off attacks. It's both an offensive and defensive threat against an enemy. 
And the reason we need this mobility is Satan is also on the prowl. He is mobilizing. And we have to be able to meet him where he is. He's always changing his tactics. So we need to be able to move to confront him on all of those different areas. I want to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones here because he describes, there's a much longer quote I wanted to give because he does a great job of describing it, but I'm going to, I shrunk it down just for our time's sake. But this is what he says. But the devil often changes his methods also. Sometimes he comes to you opposing you violently and condemning you. The next moment he will come flattering you. Sometimes he will inflame your passions to drive you into sin. The next time he comes in a most subtle and enticing manner. He will achieve the same end before you know that anything has happened. One moment he comes to the Christian and says, do not overdo yourself. Look after your health. Look after your interests. Read more. Do nothing. The next moment he comes and fills us with a carnal zeal and makes us so busy that we ruin our health, perhaps, or we do not have time to read at all. And so we lose our grip of the truth and do not know where we are. The same devil tempts to both extremes. Do you see how mobile Satan is? He is taking every, he, he will always bring us to extremes. How do you get to the high ground? Put on the shoes that are fitted with the gospel of peace. Every attempt by Satan to get us to extremes is to get us to worry and to try to control life by our own strength, to think that we can stand on our own. And the way that we out flank him, out-mobilize him, is to go back to the righteousness of Christ, to put on the breastplate of righteousness and to realize that God has done the work of actually giving me peace. In fact, I can't control peace myself. The more I fight for peace by my own strength, I'll be less peaceful. I will be more anxious. I won't have peace. Peace comes from God alone. He's done the work. I can surrender everything to him. And when that happens, then we don't have to prove or justify ourselves. The tax collector tries to do that. The, the Pharisee, I'm sorry, the Pharisee tries to justify himself and the tax collector says, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. The tax collector is actually freed. You don't justify yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. Do you see how that frees you from peace? Just think of how much your life would be freed from worry if you thought, I don't have to prove I'm anyone special. And it's not out of trying to be a nonconformist, but just simply because you know God deems you special. He's already proven it through his son. He's given peace to you through his son's shed blood. And so therefore, you're not fighting for people's approval. You're not trying to achieve a certain status in life to become someone important or special. You're not thinking, well, I didn't go to high school. I didn't go to this university. Or I didn't attain this career path. Or I'm just at home cooking and cleaning. Or I'm just at home doing this or that. Or I'm, I didn't win first place in this. Or I'm not a national champion in this. It doesn't matter. You are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have that, we don't try to win arguments with our husband and our wife. That's not like our end goal of life. I'm going to, I have to make sure that my rights are proven. We don't have to try to convince the other side to vote this way in this election. 
And we don't have to think that, well, you should wear masks or not wear masks or live this way or not that. See, so much of this life, and it's the enemy's work, really, because it is a spiritual war, is to try to get us to extremes, to think that we don't have peace. But when we have peace with God, because of all that Jesus has accomplished at the cross, we have peace with others. Even if others don't have peace with us, we still have peace with others. It's possible. Satan, remember him in the desert? He's tempting Jesus. What did he try to tempt Jesus with? To be satisfied with something other than God. That was his goal. It didn't matter what it was. Even if it was, just don't go down that road. Just sit back and relax. Turn the stone to bread. Eat. You know, all these things that were not bad. Hey, gain, like, let me provide for you these things so that you'll be, uh, you'll have everything you'll need. And Jesus said, trust in the Lord. You know, only God's word is what matters ultimately. Jesus' responses through God's word were based on a truth that there is no one like God. No one provides like him. That to serve him is far better. To be a doorkeeper in the house of God is infinitely better than anything else in the world. And what is the result of this type of peace? Satan leaves him. Did you notice that? In Matthew 4, after Jesus says, find satisfaction in God alone, every one of his answers is about finding his rest, satisfaction in God alone. Eventually, Satan has nothing left to say and he flees because uh, Jesus has outflanked him. He's put on the gospel of peace. He is the prince of peace. My peace I give to you. He does that and Satan has nothing left to say. Listen to what James 4, 7 says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What James says is the very thing that Jesus does in the desert to have this incredible amount of satisfaction in God it is the power upon which Satan is gone. And James says, you have that power. Submit yourself. Trust in him. Be trusting in God's provision over your life. Don't think that I need to accomplish this, have this much wealth, be able to be in this life stage or status, and then, only then, will I have peace. No, that's a lie. There's only one peace. In Christ, in Christ alone. That's good news for us. So I hope as you move forward to fight this fight of faith, put on the gospel of peace, the, the shoes that are made ready, perfectly made ready to fight, to win, and to make the devil flee from you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord. We come to you with much thanksgiving and praise. You are so good. We love you and we worship you and we thank you that you have made peace possible because you initiated that peace. Father, thank you that you love the world so much that you sent your only son. At once we were enemies and now, in Christ, your son, we are your children. And we want to go forth and proclaim this good news to the world 
we also know there's a fight ahead of us. And it's not just a fight outside of us. It's a fight in our own souls. And it's also a fight from the enemy who's trying to cause us to not have peace, to think highly of ourselves. Protect us, O Lord. And cause us, O Lord, to remember that we are strong in the Lord and the power of of your might. We want to put on the whole armor of God. We trust that when we do, the peace that passes understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.